0: Well, good morning, Redeemer. Uh, before we dive in, let's just take a moment and bow your heads and your hearts with me in silence as we prepare ourselves for the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we turn to your Holy Word, that you would speak powerfully. Lord, dig ears for us, soften our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would impress these truths us. Help us, Lord, for we cannot do this alone. We need you. Lord, we love you, and we want to be transformed from glory to glory to look like Jesus Christ. We, ask, we pray that you would do that today for the glory of your name and the good of all peoples. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, this morning, please open up with me your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 as we continue our series in 1 Timothy. We spent about five weeks in the Psalms lamenting, preparing ourselves for Good Friday and Easter, but here we are back to 1 Timothy. And I'm excited. It's good to be back, isn't it? Isn't it? Now, as you're finding that spot in your Bibles, I just want to ask this simple question. Have, have you ever had the task, or had a task before you, that felt impossible to tackle? I'm surprised more hands aren't raised. Slash any hands. Yes, we all have, right? Maybe it was a project at work that you just felt like, I cannot do this. Your boss put you in a situation, but you said, this is above my pay grade. I cannot tackle this. Or maybe it was one of your children. They were wayward. They're not listening. They're they're disobedient. You just don't know how to rear them in. We've all had seasons and circumstances in life where we felt inadequate and unfit to accomplish the task before us. And that's a hard place to be in, amen? That's hard because it exposes our weakness and and we see and feel our need. But, I know you heard that, that there's a big but coming. It is also a good place. It's a good place when we're brought down to our knees, when we feel weak, when we feel inadequate, because it's in that moment that we have to stop and as we're looking down, feeling like we got nothing left, where we stop and look up and see our God. And we say, I might be unable for this, unfit for this, but He is able. He is good. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is going to bring me through this task. And friends, that's exactly where young Timothy found himself in. Timothy was a younger man. He was probably in his early 30s. And he had the task of correcting rebuking and reorienting this church in Ephesus. And though Timothy was a brilliant, godly, and very capable young man, there's no doubt that his opponents would have found it very difficult to take correction from him. It's not easy taking correction from someone younger than you, is it? No. So Timothy, he needs some encouragement, and it sounded like he needed to be challenged as well, You know, just like the trailing hockey team going into the third period down a few goals, right? Timothy needed a pep talk. So that's what Paul offered him today, or in this text before us. Words that every godly leader needs, but also what every Christian needs to hear. This word may be spoken to a young pastor, but friends, I can assure you that whether you are a mom, a dad, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a boss, an employee, a friend... These words are going to serve as a challenge and as an encouragement to you. We need to hear them today. So with these things in mind, hear now from the holy, inspired, and errant, living, and active word to us today. 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 to 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I said, this, these verses serve as both an encouragement and a challenge, right, kind of a pump up to young Timothy, because he had quite a task before him. So how did Paul do this? How did, how did Paul challenge and, and make Timothy ready for all that he was about to do? Well, First off, he says to him, you need to conduct yourself well, both in and outside of the pulpit. He says, take James' word seriously. James 1 verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Timothy, Paul says to young Timothy, you've got to make sure that you're a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. Because this Ephesian church needs you. They need to see you setting a good example for everybody. So he says, let your life and let your words exhibit to the watching world that your faith has transformed you and that it is transforming you. That's important for us all to hear, right? The world needs to see that. Your brothers and sisters need to see that, that your faith is transforming you. It didn't just save you, no, it's sanctifying you, making you ready for the new heavens and the new earth. Timothy needed to remember to watch both his words and actions and friends, so do we. So how was Timothy? He's in this tough position, right? Having to go into this church with these false teachers, how was he to go in there with strength, with courage, when he, when he felt discouraged? What did he need to hear? What did he need to do to watch his life and his doctrine so that he didn't go off the rails along with this church? Well, the first thing he says, Paul says is this, set an example that's worth following That's the first thing we see in our text. Look with me to verse 12. Paul reminds Timothy, he says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. See, Timothy was given the the, the task to right the ship in Ephesus, but friends, he had at least two things against him. First, he was young. He was a young man going into an established church. Secondly, he was new into town. They didn't know him. These false teachers already had a foothold, and Timothy was the new kid on the block. So it would have been very easy for them to look down on him because he was young, because he was new to town. It would have been easy for them to look down on him and just say, you know what, we don't need to worry what this young man is saying to us. Can you, can you picture that situation? Maybe, maybe there's a, a situation at work. You've had a new young boss come to town, and it was hard to take correction from him. You wanted to disregard what he or she was saying to you. That's what, that's what Timothy was feeling. That's what he needed to be. He needed, his faith needed to be bolstered. Forgive me. So, so Paul says to Timothy, I know that you're hurting. I know that you're discouraged. I know that you maybe want to quit. But don't worry. Forget about your age, and instead live a life that is exemplary. That's what he says. Set an example that's worth following to this Ephesian church. Live a life that so demonstrates that your age will not disqualify you from your mission. Donald Guthrie, a commentator, puts it this way. The qualities in which Timothy is to excel are those in which youth is so often deficient. Yet for that reason, they would stand out the more strikingly it would become evident to that Christian believers that authority in the community is contingent on character, not on age. Isn't that a good reminder? It's not Timothy's age, but his character that God was interested in. Therefore, as William Mounts puts it, Timothy was to be such a good example that accusations have no credence. You know, can you picture it? You have these false teachers the leaders of the church, young Timothy comes along. He's rebuking them. He's saying, whoa, 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 you guys are going off the rails here. Look, But couldn't you picture them saying, like, look at this guy, Timothy. He's not living a life like us. He's this young man. He's got no clout. Why would you want to follow him? Look at him. Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, you make sure that you're living a life that just puts to death all of those accusations. Redeemer City, these words are not only for the elders of the church, for the leaders of the church, but they're for everybody, for, for you and I alike. We are all called to live as examples for one another and to the watching world. Moms and dads, set an example worth following to your children. Mentors, set an example worth following to those you're mentoring. You who are working in a secular, unbelieving workplace, set an example that says something to the world about the God that you serve. How do we do this? How do we live a life that's exemplary? We let the Holy Spirit transform every part of us to look more like Jesus Christ. Look with me to verse 12 again. Paul says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, purity. Let your speech demonstrate that you are no longer led by the flesh, but led by the Holy Spirit. James 1.19, some of my favorite verses, says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You want to set an example worth following in your speech? Be slow to speak. Think before you speak. Oh, how many people would have, or could have avoided unnecessary conflicts if they were just slower to speak. Maybe if they thought those words are not necessary. How many of you, maybe husbands and wives, would have come to church in a better mood if you decided to keep your mouth shut? Friends, we are to season every word with salt. Let's be slow and wise in our speech. Let's be the people who remember that the words that come out of our mouth are actually a reflection of our hearts. Remember what Jesus said? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let's be the people who, instead of sowing division and friction with our words, instead sow words of peace. Because our words matter, don't they? Our words matter. You can, you, sometimes you can take your words back, but most of the time you can't. Right? So set an example worth following in your speech. Then Paul goes on. He says that our conduct, the way that we live, the way that we carry ourselves, should serve as an example to those around us. Right? In other words, live wisely. Live wisely. Others should be able to look at your life and be able to say that you live with wisdom, with prudence, the way you handle your finances, the way you spend your time. All of this is going to serve as an example to those who are watching you, for good or for bad. And set an example worth following through your love and your faith. Do people look at you and they see your compassion and grace? Do you model what it is to walk in love towards your brothers and sisters and to the watching world? What about your faith? We are to be examples of those who trust in God to those around us, meaning our faith, yours and mine, are meant to be encouragements to one another. We should be coming week after week to Redeemer City, and I might come in scourge, and I should be able to go to Ron, and he should be able to share with me what's going on, what the Lord has been speaking to him about. Should we, we are in, supposed to be encouragements to one another, to be examples for one another. And Paul says, Timothy, set an example worth following in your purity. Right? Timothy was a younger man, early 30s, and in this church we know that there, was a, where there were many younger widows. Timothy wasn't exempt from the temptations that all men and women face. Paul says, Timothy, strive for purity. Strive for purity. D.A. Carson puts it this way. We are to deal drastically with sin. We must not pamper it, flirt with it, enjoy nibbling a little of it around the edges. We are to hate it, crush it, dig it out. You're to hate sin. Timothy was a young pastor, and he knew that tampering with sexual sin of any kind would bar him from ministry. But friends, all of us, all of us here need to be men and women who avoid and fight sexual temptation with all that's in us. In the confusing and promiscuous culture we find ourselves in, let's be those who are marked by self-control, by purity, by holiness. Let's be the people who trust in the Word of God rather than Hollywood. Let's listen to Him when it comes to what sexuality and relationships are supposed to be like. Let's be the people who truly believe that Jesus is better than pornography, than premarital sex or that stupid, dangerous affair that you're thinking might be worth it. Let's be the people who truly believe what Jesus said is true. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Set an example that's worth following in all that you say, and how you act in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. And what else can we do to protect ourselves from going off the rails, from battling discouragement, Secondly, we prioritize the Word. Prioritize and preach the Word. Look with me to verse 11. Paul says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Paul was planning to come back and visit the Ephesian church, but he was delayed, and in his delay, he charged Timothy to stay in the Scriptures, to remain devoted to them. Right? Rather than take part in the myths, the speculations, the heresy that these false teachers were spewing, Timothy was to remain in the Word of God. Right? More than just a mere hobby, right? more than just giving the Word of God half an hour after dinner time, or half an hour on the weekend if you can spare it, Timothy was to devote himself to the Scriptures. William Mounts puts it this way. He says, The agenda Paul spells out for Timothy emphasizes the centrality of the text for theological correctness and includes not just a basic reading, but a fuller awareness of the text's meaning, catch this, that is gained through study, reflection, and devotion. Preaching the Word of God demands time. It demands serious attention. Pastor Levi, I can say this, it's good that I get to preach this text. I get to kind of commend you and encourage our brother. But we know that he he spends numerous hours, he devotes numerous hours, week in and week out, to study and to prepare his sermons. He doesn't roll out of bed Sunday morning and say, Amanda, what should I preach on today? No, no, he's been spending all Week studying. He's devoted to this. Praise God for that, right? Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Because that is what is demanded of the preacher of God's Word. And Paul says to Timothy, you've got to study hard. Study hard. Devote yourself to God's Word. You want to stay on the right track? You want to make sure you don't go off the rails? Stay in the Word. And more than just reading... Timothy was to exhort or to urge, right, to push people gently to listen and to obey the word of God. Because the word, friends, the word is where Timothy's authority came from. You know, Paul didn't send Timothy and say, go smash your fist and crack some skulls together, get their attention that way. No. He said, Timothy, if you preach the word, if you rebuke sternly, Things will be made right. God is good. God is sovereign and he uses his word. That's where the authority comes from. So stick to it. Timothy's task, along with all those who preach the word, is to simply do this. Read the text, explain it, and apply the text. That was to be Timothy's priority. And friends, that's to be the priority, again, of of the elders here at Redeemer City. And, 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 and we as a people should be encouraging them more and more to devote themselves to that. We should. We should. Because that is their main job. And you know what, friends? They are going to be tempted, sometimes of their own, um, of, of the, the things that are on their heart, but also because we are going to bring issues to them. And at times, they're going to be tempted to devote themselves to something else. That's true. They're going to be tempted to say, you know what, we've we got to put the Word aside for today. We're going to focus on something else. For this season, the Word is going to wait. But friends, if they're ever struggling with a temptation like that, then it's on you and I to go to them and say, remember 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul said this, until I come, devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's their job. Friends, let's make sure that we are a people who are praying and encouraging our leaders to do this more and more. Let's do it on a regular basis. If you're not doing that, start this week. We need to pray more and more that God would continue to grant them a passion for His glory, for His Word, for His church, for missions. We should be praying this, that that Pastor Levi would never, ever, ever, ever tire of preaching the Word That on those Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays, when he's exhausted and for whatever reason the text is just not coming alive, that he would not grow tired of studying and of writing and of praying that God would open his eyes to see the text. We need to pray like that. Our leaders are called to prioritize the Word, to be devoted to it. But friends, again, just like I said, this Word was to young Timothy, but it's also for all of us. Because all of us are meant to be devoted to the Word of God. In our own lives, we should be prioritizing it. Daily reading, daily study, and in the lives of our families, it should be a big priority, it should be the priority. Our children should grow up hearing the Word of God read to them. They should grow up from a young age learning to read the Word of God. They should see mom and dad devoted to the scriptures. They should see mom and dad running to the Word of God when they have a problem they can't seem to solve. They should see mom and dad running to the word of God when something good happens, running to the Psalms and saying, let's praise God for what he has done. They should see mom and dad delighting in reading God's word. And friends, for for those of us who teach Bible studies, youth groups, or maybe we're serving in Redeemer's kids, all of us should be devoted to the word of God for ourselves, but also for the people that we're serving. Because if we want to teach and preach the scriptures, then we have to handle God's word rightly. Let me ask you, friends, when you're teaching a Bible study or Redeemer Kids or whatever it may be, are you preparing well? Are, are you devoting time to it? Sometimes we're more worried. I'll, I'll, I confess this. Sometimes I'm more worried about how the kids are going to, you know, are they going to have jelly beans before the service? Right? Uh, are they going to be going crazy? Sometimes I'm more worried about that than I am about the the Word of God that I'm going to be teaching them. And don't get me wrong, we should be praying. Every every Sunday I pray that for whoever's teaching that the kids would be patient, that they would be able to sit and and just sit there and hear the Word. Yes and amen. But we should be also praying for them, studying the Word of God, making sure that that's a priority. I know we have busy and full lives. Many of us feel like we don't have the time. But if we're going to commit to teaching them, then we need to make sure that we are studying hard as well. And and P.S., friends, by the grace of God, we are doing this well. We're doing this well. And the kids in there, they know the answers before we even ask them half the time. Isn't that true? So praise God for that. But we need to continue to do it. Prioritizing the Word of God as we are called means devoting ourselves to studying it hard. Because that's the way we are going to protect ourselves from going off of the rails. And as we prioritize the Word, Paul says, number three, steward your gifts. Look with me, please, to to verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders Laid their hands on you. So commentators are are unsure exactly what council of elders Paul was referring to, but either or one, one thing is clear. Timothy was equipped and called to serve the local church. At one point, a group of elders they prayed for him and they commissioned him to minister the word of God to the churches. He was called and he was charged to be a minister of the gospel. So, as he's in the trenches in Ephesus, as he's battling discouragement, as he's feeling weak and incompetent, Paul reminded him, he said, Timothy, remember. Remember your calling. Steward the gifts given to you. Right? It would have been easy at this time, as the opposition was tough, for Timothy to simply give up. Wouldn't it have? To throw in the towel or say, I need reinforcements. I can't do this. But Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, dig deep. Remember your calling. Steward the gifts that God has given you. And friends, you know, sometimes we, maybe maybe you don't, but I know I did. I'd picture Timothy as this young, humble, and capable man. But that's not the case. No, he was equipped. He was a good young leader. That's why Paul left him there, because he knew that God had called him to this task. John Calvin comments on Timothy's ability this way. He says this, Hence, we learn that Timothy was still young, though he held a place of distinguished excellence among many pastors. And it is a grievous mistake to estimate, by the number of years, how much is due to a person. You see, Timothy was a young, gifted, distinguished man among the pastors. But just like, him, just like us, and pretty much everybody else who's lived, he was plagued by discouragement. But God had gifted him. God had called him to this task, so friends, there could be no quit. He would need to push through and use the gifts that God had given him. This wasn't the time to cower. This wasn't the time to leave Ephesus. Proverbs 24.10 says this, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now I could picture young Timothy quoting this verse to himself as he wrestled, And he looked up at the uphill climb and said, How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Because ministry is hard. Ministry is hard. And friends, life is hard. Isn't that true? Life is hard. Most of the time, things don't go as we plan them to go. Isn't that true? Right. That's right, Ryan. But when they don't go as they're planned, we need to remember and believe that God is sovereign, He's on His throne. And wherever he's placed you, he's saying, steward the gifts that I've given you. I'm going to bring you through this. God has gifted each and every one of his children in a distinct way so that they can serve the church. You want to stay on course? You're feeling discouraged? You feel like you're going to go off the rails? You want to stay on course? Come to church and steward your gifts well. Steward your gifts well in the church. Peter says this, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's easy to want to sit on the sidelines, let other, other people do the hard work. Isn't that true? But if God has gifted you, which he has... If he has gifted you, then you need to serve him with that gift, with all of your might. You know, maybe it's serving in worship ministry, maybe it's in hospitality, maybe it's in teaching, maybe it's in prayer ministry, maybe it's in Redeemer Kids, maybe it's in set up and tear down crews, maybe it's in greeting, or just maybe God has so gifted you that you are able to look out in the crowd and see the person who just needs a friend. Some of you have that gift and it is so valuable. Use it. Steward it well. John Calvin, he challenges us this way. He says, To neglect a gift is carelessly to keep it unemployed through slothfulness. So that having contracted rust, it is worn away without yielding any profit. Let each of us therefore consider what gift he possesses that he may diligently apply it To use. We are called to to the task of furthering God's kingdom, to pushing through the discouraging, the hard times. So let's listen to Paul's charge and steward our gifts well. And then finally, after we've set out to be godly examples, after we've prioritized the word of God, after we've worked hard, use the gift that use the gifts that God has given us, Paul says that we must be vigilant. You want to stay the course? You want to protect yourself from going off the rails, then you need to be vigilant. And how do you do that? How do you stay vigilant? You stay alert, you work hard, and you keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Look with me to verse 15 to 16. Paul concludes this section by saying, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, the Christian walk is hard, and it's not for the faint of heart. Jesus said this If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul says to Timothy, You've got to stay on your guard. You've got to stay on your heels. You've got to remain vigilant. He says, stay in the Word. Immerse yourself in it. You can picture Pastor Pastor Levi's pool, right? Stay in that pool. Immerse yourself in it. Watch how you live. Watch what you believe and teach. And stay consistent. Move forward because, friends, how you live will have an effect on the church. One commentator puts it this way. He says, growth and forward movement are signs of spiritual life and ministry effectiveness. Paul wants Timothy to exhibit both, movement and effectiveness. Good Christian leadership will have a positive impact on the church. Amen? Amen. And the, the flip side is true. Bad Christian leadership is bad for the church. When false teachers make their way to the pulpit, when false teaching makes its way into the pulpit week after week, ruin soon follows Paul knew that Timothy was in Ephesus, right? He was experiencing this firsthand, but he wanted to make sure that Timothy, when he woke up every morning, he remembered the sobering truth. Friends, vigilance is necessary for us. Even for us living in peaceful Canada. Because friends, it is so easy to forget that we are in a spiritual war, isn't it? Last weekend, we celebrated Good Friday and Easter Sunday. On Friday, we came in as though there was a funeral, as though it was a funeral. We were somber, we were sober, we were quiet as we remembered the the price that Jesus paid. On Good Friday, we're we're reminded of the fact that God is far, far holier than we could ever imagine and that our sin is far worse than we could imagine. We're reminded that there's a huge chasm between a holy God and the sinful creation. But then on Sunday, we come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Right? We come in with joy. right? We celebrate that the tomb is empty. That Jesus has paid it all. God has set His seal. That it is finished. That Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. And we're going to follow Him one day. Praise God. We celebrate that now we can walk in righteousness filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. Right, Every year the Easter season comes, and it goes, and we experience the extreme highs and lows, and that's good. But then Easter Monday comes around. We wake up Monday morning, and the feelings are gone. How many have experienced that? A joy that we had less than 24 hours before is suddenly gone. The cares of this life, the daily struggles that we have, seem paramount We forget. Our feelings are fickle. We are weak. Well, friends, this is exactly why we need to remain vigilant. Because there is a real enemy seeking to destroy you. There's a real enemy seeking to rob God of glory. And how does he do that? He does that by getting each and every one of us, getting our eyes taken off God's glory and getting fixed upon our little earthly kingdom. That's what he wants to do. He wants to rob God of glory. He tries to do this by getting us to fix our eyes on our pleasures, the pleasures of this life, the fleeting pleasures, whether it be our relationships, our careers, our vacations, our cars, our houses, our toys. He would have us fix our eyes on anything else but the glory of God, but on Christ and his redemption. There's a real enemy, friends. There is a spiritual war. So we must be vigilant. And how do we do this? We remain rooted in the Word of God. We remain preaching, teaching, and delighting in the Gospel once delivered to the saints. So whether you're a preacher, an elder, a mom, or a dad, a brother, a sister, preach the Word of God without wavering. Don't distort it. Don't mute it. Don't bend it. Get up week after week and preach it. And as you preach it, sit under it. Sit under it. Let it change you. Let it confront your sin. Let the Word of God wash over you and grow you. Because in verse 16, we have this scary reminder. Paul says to Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. See, Paul says to Timothy, Life and death are at stake here. We're at war. Now, hear me. I want to hear this loud and clear. Paul is not saying that the Ephesian salvation is based on Timothy. No, no, no. From the beginning to the end, God is the agent of securing our salvation, of keeping us to the very end. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. But nevertheless, in God's divine sovereignty, He uses human means. He uses pastors and elders and lay people like us to edify, to protect, to encourage, and to keep his children from falling away and being derailed. We're each other's brothers and sisters. We're each other's keepers. So you and I are called to stay vigilant, not only for ourselves, not only for ourselves, but also for the brother and sister that you're sitting beside right now, for our spouses, for our kids, for one another. You want to be a good brother or sister in your faith? Stay in the Word of God. Devote yourself to the Word of God. Devote yourself to Redeemer City. If you do that, friends, you're going to serve your brothers and sisters very, very, very well. And, friends, can I just say, even though this is a scary truth, as I was reading, as I was studying, I was like, that's a a sobering truth. That's a sobering truth right there. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's a lot riding on Timothy's ministry. There's a lot riding on on us to make sure that we're remaining, walking with the Lord with all that we've got, holding one another accountable. That's scary. That's sobering. But friends, I also think it's a great encouragement. It reminds us that God has not called us to live this life alone. He's not called us, any of us, to be a lone wolf. None of you can do this alone. I can't do this alone. No, we need one another. We need to be in each other's corners. We need to be those who come alongside, who encourage and challenge when necessary to be there in the good and bad, through the thick and the thin. We are called to be there for one another, brothers and sisters. You want to stay on the track? You're discouraged and you want to stay on the track? You're worried you're going to go off? Come to church and be encouraged by one another. And you yourself persist in this. Persist in remaining devoted to the Word of God, being vigilant. Friends, as we come to a close this morning, are any of you resonating with young Timothy? I know none of us are in ancient Ephesus, right? Reorienting a church that's gone astray. But maybe there's some of you who are hurting right now. You're in a struggle. You're in a battle of discouragement there's a task before you and you don't think that you can do it. If that's you today, take a breath. Take a breath and remember who's driving the train. Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith, the one who died on Good Friday and who rose on Easter Sunday is leading the way. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And as you do, let's be a people who serve as as, uh, godly examples for us, let's prioritize God's word. Let's steward our gifts well. Let's stay vigilant. Let's watch how we live. Let's watch what we believe, friends, because this is no small matter. This is life and death. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself. And your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, although some of these things are they're sobering, they challenge us, Lord, we thank you that they are also encouragements and reminders that we need. And Lord, we thank you that, that you are. You're you're leading the way. You're driving the train, Lord. You're driving and steering the ship. And we just pray that you would continue to keep us. Keep us, O Lord. Keep us, God, as we go and as we battle discouragement and sometimes as we're worried we're going to go off the rails. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd keep us with our eyes fixed on you. Keep us engaging, Lord, with our brothers and sisters here at Redeemer. Keep us rooted in your word. Keep us relying on your Holy Spirit. Lord, for the glory and the good of your name and for the glory and good of all nations, Lord, we pray all these things in the mighty, powerful, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Worship team.